Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. If you missed today's show, we had quite a conversation about the speech from the throne next door in B.C., which, uh, as we noted on the air, threw a lot of shade Alberta's way. What, what's their problem exactly? And there's a guy in um, Edmonton who thinks the government of Alberta has thrown a lot of gravel his way. A windstorm kicked up some sand and gravel on the Henday in Edmonton and damaged his new BMW SUV. He wants the province to pay. We listened to what you thought about that. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. You can listen to us weekday mornings, 930 to 1230 on News Talk 770 and Newstalk770.com. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Fighting words, in my opinion, in the BC throne speech. We shouldn't overuse the term throw in shade, Rob, but it's it's kind of like uh, the tree is bearing fruit right now, so we should eat all the apples. May as well. Because, you know, in a few weeks it won't be cool anymore, so you've got to get full value for it while you still can. But uh, it, it, it does seem odd. You don't see that sort of thing in, in provincial throne speeches. I'm, I'm not used to seeing that where, uh, you know, one province is uh, using an, another province as, as kind of a whipping boy and saying, hey, you know, look at those jerks over there. We're not going to be stupid like them. It's, well, okay, what, what are you accomplishing there? It's It's a little odd. I mean... It, it does speak to a question. Some people are, are texting to say this, you know, someone who texted to say we spend a lot of time in B.C. every year, spend about four months in B.C. every year. There's a lot of Alberta, anti-Alberta sentiment out there, uh, which is so I don't know. And maybe maybe the B.C. government is just trying to play off that, that uh, people in B.C. Uh, look down their noses at Albertans or they're they're kind of glad that Alberta's down at the moment. And the B.C. government is just trying to capitalize on that sentiment. I don't know. I, I don't understand the, the internal political dynamics. I was just really surprised to see it there. Uh, Coleman is uh, standing by. Uh, we're going to get to Coleman's phone call in just a sec. He tells me that uh, he owns some property in the Okanagan. So we'll get some interesting perspective. I just want to read this text first. It says, uh, who's insecure now, Mr. B and Mr. K? The truth hurts. We have known this was a fact for over 30 years. Were any of you talking about our lack of economic direction during 10 or 20 years past? No, instead your station sucked up to the oil industry and now you whine about what people are saying. Diversify, diversify. That's how you stay in business when the world around you changes. No one disagrees with uh, the last statement there. The argument is that we have diversified. We have quite a diverse economy in the province of Alberta and it has only grown more diverse in the past three decades, as is demonstrated by the numbers that one would hold up to prove such a point. Well, you know, we talk about employment concentration, another way to look at it. And someone even texted to say, well, maybe a, a better way to measure that is how much we rely on on revenue from the oil sector. Well, you know what? In 1979, right at the end of the 70s, it was almost 80 percent of our budget. Well, over 70 percent of our budget came from non-renewable resource revenues. Uh, in the late 90s, it was down at around 40%, just under 40%. It's now under 10%. So under 10% of our budget comes from, from oil and gas money, non-renewable resource revenues. That used to be as high as almost 80%. So, okay, by that metric, seems as though we're a lot more diverse, a lot less reliant on one single source of revenue. I mean, this texture points out that the truth hurts. And you know what? The truth does hurt. Actually, it's true. Um, the, the, the fact that analysts are now saying that expansion in the oil sands, that's not something we're going to experience beyond 2020. Just, we just won't do it. It won't make much fiscal sense for oil companies to expand their oil sands plays in Alberta. And that is a truth that to a lot of people who are employed up there might hurt. At least they've got a, a couple of years to prepare for it. But if that's the case, 
And we're listening to analysts, and where's Christy Clark listening to the analysts who disagree that aggressive global competition and the price premium between North American and Asian liquid natural uh, natural gas markets is collapsing? I mean, Christy Clark talks about 100,000 jobs and $100 billion in revenue over three decades. Is that going to materialize from their LNG place? Because that's quite a stiff bet. And to be quite frank with you, at this point in time, the way things are going, I'd be pretty happy to put some chips down against Christy Clark's bet on British Columbia's LNG futures. Yet that's something that her government seems all in on. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm curious to know what, what she thinks needs to be done to diversify. I mean, the part of the, the, the worry here when governments start talking about this is that they believe that they can fix the problem. If Christy Clark's only point is that, look, I mean, uh, we're, we're going to lower corporate taxes. We're going to lower business taxes. We want to encourage all kinds of different businesses to come to B.C., as opposed to, you know, we think this would be a great industry, so we're going to throw subsidies at that industry. We're going to throw subsidies at that other industry because we'd really like that in B.C. That's the danger. The governments start deciding the kinds of industries they would like to have in their province, and then they go and throw money at it. And as we've seen in Alberta in the past, it doesn't, doesn't work too well. well. Let's get to Coleman's call. He's been very patient. Hi, Coleman. Thanks for uh, waiting there. Oh, no problem. <laughs> I just I just was laughing at, at the comments by Christy Clark. Um, I, like I said, I've, I've only had a cottage there for a couple of years, but spent a lot of time there in the summers and that. And um, if you recall, in the late 80s, early 90s, D.C. was in trouble. I mean, you could buy a late lot, lake lot there for $40,000. And then all of a sudden, Albertans discovered this, and in came the Alberta oil, dirty oil money, and it pretty much bought up the Okanagan and built beautiful homes, paid taxes, you know, contributed hugely to their economy. Um, they don't really care for us, but they love our money. They call us the red plates. Yeah. And uh, when we go there in the summer, I mean, they're, they're standing there with their hands out, you know, and it, it just makes you laugh when she makes comments like that. We saved them, basically. <laughs> we saved them. Well, yeah, somebody texted in to say, you probably went through this, Coleman, but someone texted in to say that uh, uh, looking at buying a wreck property in the Okanagan, and they're going to pay the government a hefty land transfer tax, aren't well, they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, it, it, it think, you know, since, Albertans started going there. They've changed all kinds of rules just to get more money out of the Albertans, basically. I mean, and we're not the only ones, obviously, investing there, but but it's a huge percentage of Alberta that live along the Okanagan Lake and 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 you know all through wine country. And I mean, it, it, it's just the way it is. Because, hey, how long have, how long have you been uh, going out there for leisure well, time? Probably the last twenty years. Okay, there was a time when you could get a rebate on your PST, wasn't there? You know, I I don't. I don't know. I've never. I mean, I just pay it, right? Yeah. <laughs> never, you know. There was a there was a like a kiosk in a downtown mall in Vancouver that I recall, where basically if you bought stuff, you would go there and get a form, and then keep your receipts, you know, remit it to the government, and then they'd send you a rebate check for the PST that you paid if you were a foreigner, if you were a, a tourist, and then they scrapped that program, probably oh, realizing yeah. that uh, why are we paying these people back? Yeah, I, I, I've never even heard of it. Or you know, I mean, you go there, you can. Contribute to your economy on everything you buy. Yeah, that's true. Have a PSP. I mean, it's just the way it is. So. Thanks for the call, Coleman. Really appreciate it. Oh, and I just one more quick thing. I'm an unemployed pipeline inspector. I just wanted to throw that in. Oh, all, the, <laughs> all the best to you, buddy. Thank you. All right. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, you know, we're hearing about uh, big layoffs at Husky yesterday, and um, so a lot more people. Uh, waking up today uh, on the unemployment line, and it's you know it's it's depressing. It's it's heartbreaking. 
and there's there's no easy answer. There's no quick fix. No, there's not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've said in the uh, kind of out of the side of my mouth a few times that I'd like to see Alberta impose some onerous tax on BC wine. I say it to illustrate a point. I don't mean it. I mean, look, my personal taste in alcoholic beverages is not what's uh, uh, crucial to this to this debate. But the idea that any government would impose a tax on another jurisdiction in this country just because they can. It seems to me like we're not all pulling on the same rope here. Canada is the country that people buy their oil from. I don't think that there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, outside of the Hollywood elite types, there's not a lot of people that look at at, at oil from this country and say, well, which oil is it? Is it Alberta oil? And, and from, you know, from what part of Alberta is that oil coming from? You know, we'd prefer the Newfoundland oil. Can we get that oil instead, please? I mean, Canada is losing its place with all of this in, in-house bickering, and it just is senseless and has to stop. All right, 974-8255 is our telephone number. Let's go to Rick. Rick, welcome to the program. Hello. Uh, yeah, I just took a, a quick point or two here, just mm-hmm. fast. Uh, I've been living in town here 50 years, and uh, I've seen multi-changes over the time. And... Usually I don't, I live down south in Acadia, and I don't usually go downtown, but yesterday I went downtown, there's two huge high-rises going up with taco cranes, and oh, mm-hmm. they're huge, not only the height, but the girth, and the day before Monday, I was just taking a drive with my sister up in Scarborough, I mean, um, Crescent Heights. There's multi-million dollar houses being built every second block. Now, this province does not have an economic problem, as far as I can see. That's the only point I had to make. Okay, Rick, thanks for the call. I mean, there's a lot of people uh, that are pointing out that that this economic downturn is being felt very differently in Edmonton as it is in in Calgary. And there are a lot of, I mean, look, you you need to read a headline about how Husky has decided that, you know, we, we... we got to save some money. We can't pay Calgarians or Canadians to do the jobs we can get done overseas uh, at a fraction of the price. So uh, there are people out of work. There are people hurting. We had Mary Moran, the president uh, and CEO of Calgary Economic Development, on the program to tell us that, look, despite the gloomy headlines, it's important to note that Calgary has actually added jobs, with the point being that Calgary has not necessarily added as high-paying jobs. Somebody who was laid off at a six-figure gig in an oil company might have picked up work somewhere else using some of their skills for maybe half, two-thirds of the salary that they earned before. And that's leading to that uh, terrible situation that we experienced three decades ago where people are taking their keys and mailing them to the bank. Strategic defaults on mortgages because their houses are underwater. Right. So the problems are pretty widespread throughout the economy. Maybe you can't see them standing on the street corner, but they're there. I get what Rick's saying, but we can't suggest that, you know, because we see houses are being built, because people in certain industries uh, that are actually prospering right now are doing okay, that we're not feeling pain in one of the larger sectors that accounts for 25% of this province's GDP. Right, but no, I, sp- I think, though, it speaks to a, a point. I mean, one of the texters uh, here on, on the text board says, well, you know, if, if we are diversified, then why aren't we more able to ride out this storm? And I guess it depends on how you look at the question, because, I mean, in the 1980s, we saw unemployment rates well over 10 percent. I think we hit 12 percent or even a little bit higher than that. Uh, right now, we only just 
went above the national average. And we're still pretty much right at the national average. So in terms then of are we able to ride out the storm, well, if, if, if your definition of storm is that we're at about the national average for unemployment, if that's the norm elsewhere and it's a storm here in Alberta, maybe that is riding out the storm. Uh, you know, I mean, things might get worse before they get better. But when you look at it in that sense, you look at, uh, you know, the unemployment rate in Edmonton, which has been doing a lot better than Calgary. You look at how Alberta as a whole is pretty much at the, the Canadian average. Uh, is that riding out a crisis? You know, I mean, it obviously could be a lot worse here. And I think that maybe that's what, what Rick was trying to get across, that there is still a lot of good happening in Alberta. People are still going to work. Things are still getting built. And we're going through a rough patch right now. But we, we do seem to have some fallbacks elsewhere in the economy. Other other sectors are, are carrying the load. We'll take a short pause here, get to Brad's phone call on the other side of this break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. You're listening to News Talk 770 in HD uh, on 105.1 Channel 2. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Now in HD. Details at Newstalk770.com. All right, welcome back, Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Uh, talking about, I guess, this this beef now between uh, Alberta and BC, which I, I don't know where it's coming from. I know we we know Christy Clark has decided to to grandstand against Northern Gateway and, and the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and uh, I, you know they're they're proving to be a bit of an obstacle to getting those those projects built, but. Uh, the, the language in the speech from the throne about uh, not ending up like Alberta, not making the mistakes that Alberta has made, and uh, what people out here make of all of that. Uh, 974-8255 is a telephone number. Let's go back to the phones. Say good morning to Brad. Brad, what's up? Hi, good morning, gentlemen. I'd just like to bring your attention. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was the issue of free trade with the United States between B.C. and them dumping timber into the U.S. Now, imagine if Alberta was somehow in the middle of that process. And uh, I just like to draw that comparison with uh, with our situation, and that's all I have to say about the matter. Okay, Brad, appreciate the phone call. Uh, I, I think you know that uh, that softwood lumber dispute with the United States. Uh, we were certainly on BC's side. Certainly understood what uh, what BC was dealing with, the negative effects of the the U.S. response, and how you know Canada needed to respond as as a country because it's not just BC's softwood lumber industry. I mean, it's Canada's softwood lumber industry. Uh, we're trying to export uh, softwood lumber to the U.S. under the the trade arrangements that we've negotiated with the United States, and the U.S. were being you know kind of uh, jerks about it, and so we stood up for the Canadian softwood lumber industry and stood up for Canadian lumber exports. Why is uh, why are we not looking at oil exports the same way? Yeah, it really just comes down to that, what the Confederation means. Somebody texts in to say, uh, Canada, I've come to realize, is not a real country. It's a confederation of regions that just could not care less about the other. Just give me the money. And I, I think there's a lot of nations that you could look at that probably act that way. But it's entirely true that we have so much in this country that is, you know, as far as federal programs go, you know, federally uh, uh, legislated programs that we all pay into. So why wouldn't you want to help your brother contribute more to the kitty? Hi, Jim. How you doing? 
Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. Please Great do, topic. Yeah. Um, a couple points here. With, with regards to um, pipelines and that, I'm, I'm very focused on the uh, Republican primary in the U.S., and I can tell you that if any Republican candidate gets into office, uh, that Keystone pipeline they're all a proponent of, I think that'll probably end up being the first pipeline to move anyway. Hasn't Donald Trump kind of hedged on that, though? Uh, I don't think so. If you look at his last statements, his most recent statements, he says that Keystone Pipeline needs to happen. But on another topic, I just want to correct a, a bit of a misnomer out there about how our economy is doing better in other areas in Edmonton and, 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 and whatnot. And I want to um, relate to uh, Warren Gunther's assessment on that. And that is in Edmonton, seven out of the ten largest employers are government. That's really that's 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 not job creation uh, through money, wealth makers. That's job creation through wealth takers. And the difference between Calgary and Edmonton, Calgary is mainly a private sector economy, where you have Edmonton turning into more of a major public sector economy. So you can relate that, as Lauren Gunther aptly put it, through um, restaurants and retail goods, where in southern Alberta, it's diminishing. It's a downward trend. In northern Alberta, in Edmonton, um, with the exception, of course, of Fort McMurray, um, it is stable. And that's because of continuous government growth in the public union sector. So it's not real growth by any stretch of the means. Yeah, great contribution, Jim. Really appreciate the phone call. Thanks for that. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I, I can't dispute the numbers on, on that. I don't have them in front of me either. But no, we, we know that there's a lot more government jobs in, in Edmonton than there are uh, in, in Calgary. But I want to go back to the Keystone XL thing. I mean, Jim might be correct that if, if a Republican uh, wins the presidency this November, that we'll see that Keystone XL be greenlit. Um, if Hillary wins it, I think that she's pretty unequivocal, uh, unequivocally said that, no, uh, there will be no Keystone XL with her as president. Right. But uh, I'll say this. Um, Canada, for as much as we would like to see the Keystone XL get approved, it would allow us to increase the amount of, of oil that we can send from Hardesty down to the Gulf Coast through Cushing. Um, I, I like our prospects much better if we can find more markets to buy our oil. I mean, if you want to look at the oil production increase that we could have here and send more to the Texas Gulf Coast uh, refineries from Keystone XL, I, I think you got to look at the whole story, too, and that's the amount of oil production that's gone on, uh, gone on in the United States under the presidency of Barack Obama. And his legacy is going to be the, the bold steps they've taken towards energy uh, self-sufficiency because he's more than doubled production of oil under his watch. I shouldn't say he. I don't mean to credit the president with that. It's not like he's the one working the shovel. But my point is, is that America is increasingly producing their own oil and becoming less reliant on imports. And while Canada sells them cheap oil, I'd rather get full pull selling it to China or other countries out the East Coast. Well, I think we'd certainly get a higher price at uh, those those uh, Gulf refineries, and and you know, I mean, there there's still obviously the prospect of of exporting from the South Coast, which is not our coast technically, but uh, those those refineries on the Gulf Coast, we could also export from there. I I think it's all part of a, a broader strategy. I think uh, Keystone XL is important. I I think Energy East is important. I think Trans Mountain and, and Northern Gateway are important. Uh, I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to support all of those. I mean, that, that's what's still frustrating to me about uh, this this current premier we have who claims that she's pro-pipeline when she's pretty choosy about the pipelines she's willing to approve. And it's not really clear why she's opposed to, to others, right? I don't know how you can be pro-pipeline and 
be against a whole bunch of pipelines. Um, this is an interesting text. And, you know, what's fascinating to me about this conversation is that we've got tremendous participation going on from uh, 250 and 604 area codes. Uh, so 250 um, is a lot of British Columbia. 604 is obviously uh, Vancouver. Um, anyway, this one from Kelowna, B.C. It's hypocritical of Christy Clark to throw shade. Nice. Full points. Uh, to throw shade at Alberta when her own riding is within the municipality that was recently ranked as the worst city for employment in Canada. So, you know, for for all Christy Clark's talking about, like, let's let's be be uh, vigilant and not end up like Alberta. Uh, okay, well, what's what's going on in BC that's so fantastic then? This other texture points out that when oil recovers, and it, uh, the price of uh, the increased price of the barrel benefits the world and benefits this country, will Christy Clark praise Alberta for staying the course, for not abandoning its uh, uh, its blessed resource, as the throne speech puts it? Of course she won't. But instead, BC will share in the spoils of of the wealth. You know, and I mean, do we really want to be a province? That has rats? Do we really want to be a province that has human feet washing up on its shores? I, I don't. I don't know about you, Roger. Do, do you want to be a province where the capital dumps raw sewage into the ocean? Uh, there's that, too. Um, we, we got a, a great texter this morning. I obviously love the clip you played the other day of the, the taxi drivers comparing Uber to ISIS. Uh, this guy says that diversifying the economy is like ISIS, that B.C. is like ISIS, and that union jobs are like ISIS. <laughs> Nice, nice work, friend. Yeah, you know, it, it's difficult to, it's difficult for me personally uh, to read stuff like this and to to hear Alberta be assaulted um, in in such a way by self interested politicians from any part of Canada, really. And you know, I get the same exasperation about it as I think Brad Wall does when he says maybe we should build a pipeline to Quebec that shoots money out. So they can figure out, you know, what what feeds the golden goose, um, or what the golden goose is for that matter. But I, I look at a situation like this and say, you know what, Albertans have toiled tremendously in this country. We've pioneered, we've innovated, we've gone and extracted the resource that does everything from heat homes to uh, to keep our cars and trucks on the road delivering goods. I mean, this energy play that Alberta has, we could ignore it if we wanted to. And we could do what BC has done and just say, oh, no, leave it in the ground. We don't want to sully the pristine wilderness. But no, instead, we've realized that there's something more important than just the square kilometers inside this uh, boundary with one jagged edge we call home. And when I hear uh, a premier or a mayor of an outside jurisdiction say, um, my political ambition is more important than the, the benefit of people in this country from coast to coast to coast, it really cuts at me. I take it personally. So, yeah, I took that throne speech personally this morning. And if you feel the same way, I say, I can't blame you. Well, you got to post up uh, at uh, Newstalk770.com on the Kincaid and Breckenridge page. Uh, you can link to that as well via Facebook. Join in the conversation there, facebook.com slash Newstalk770Calgary. And, um, you know, hopefully you got a chance to listen to this conversation in, in HD. It really would have, I think, crystallized it all uh, a little bit better in your mind. Uh, you can find out details at our website, too, about how you... During the HD radio revolution, is that overstating it to? to oh no, that? not not at all. Okay, you, you just you just wait when you see them walking with those HD radio Solidarnosc banners in the streets. You're going to really know what it's all about. Hey, we're going to pause right now. Get to the news to 10:30. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Howard Burns from the Calgary Police Association. He's the president there. Um, but why it takes so long to fire a cop? I mean, due process is one thing. 
But what is it? Eight years and seven hundred thousand dollars of paywall suspended? That seems excessive, and we kind of want to know why and what could be done differently. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. This is News Talk 770. Well, it's uh, the lunch hour, and it's that time of the day when Rob and I sink our teeth <laughs> into another issue. <laughs> this time the issue is uh, this guy up in Edmonton who not only does he have to now figure out what he's going to do about his damaged uh, car. He also has to uh, uh, deflect all the barbs and slings and arrows of people who want to throw BMW driver stereotypes at him. You won't yeah, hear that coming does, from me. It doesn't help. I guess if he had a, I don't know, I think a different kind of vehicle, maybe people might view the story a little differently. So I think he's coming across as a little spoiled and entitled here. Uh, you know, driving on Alberta roads, and I remember speaking with um, you know, a co-worker. We were out on, on a remote somewhere, and this person had recently moved to Alberta and said how crazy it was. I've only lived out here for a few months, and already I've got all these rock chips in my window. And, you know, those are kind of like the, the Alberta window tattoos, right? I mean, so we do things a little differently when it comes to uh, you know, dealing with icy roads. And, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, we, we just replaced both our windshields just a few months ago and already on, on – one in, in the one vehicle, it's uh, got two rock chips, and they're now you know spreading across, and uh, you know, it sucks, right? But what are you going to do? You're going to go to the windshield repair place, and you're going to say, thanks for being able to do this quickly, and it's good for your business. <laughs> no, but look, th- th- there's an interesting question here. So so we'll play the story out for you here, and and we want to hear from you, 974-8255. Now, let's cut through <laughs> the fact he's driving a BMW, and let's cut through... The fact that maybe uh, you might think he's a bit whiny. Is there a point in this? Like, is there any point to be made at all? Or is the status quo just fine and, you know, having uh, uh, some minor damage to your car from time to time and having to replace the windshield every every uh, spring is just basically the, the, the cost of doing business in Alberta? All right. Well, here's the story. Okay. So uh, the guy lives in Edmonton and was driving on the Anthony Henday which is the Ring Road in Edmonton, uh, again to Stony Trail here. Uh, so this was on Saturday, um, just a few days ago. There was a wind warning in effect for, for the Edmonton area. Uh, wind gusts measured up to 90 kilometers an hour. So he's out with his brand-new SUV on the Henday and says his car was repeatedly hit with blowing gravel and sand. Uh, he went to get the damage uh, checked out because there are little dings and dents. Uh, and said he was quoted $17,000 to have that fixed. He points out that it hadn't snowed in weeks, that that gravel could have and should have been cleaned up. It wasn't. And he's got this damage now, damage uh, to the windshield, damage to to the paint, damage to the rims. Uh, He says uh, he's going to his insurance company to let them know what happened, but says he's filed a claim with the province. Now, this from CDB News, and, and they say uh, an Alberta Transportation Department spokesman uh, said the claim would be evaluated. Uh, spring cleanup only happens when crews are sure there won't be any more snow, and that doesn't happen until April. So that's why they didn't get up and try to clean up this uh, this gravel. What? Wait a second. What? What's that last part? They only do the cleanup when they can be sure there won't be no snow, and that happens in April? So or like, May or June? Yeah. That's going to say. Huh? Have they lived here? Who's new here, the driver or the government? All right, so that's what we do. We we lay out the gravel. We try to make our roads safer. And, yeah, when the snow melts, that gravel's there. And I guess if winds are whipping up to 90 kilometers an hour, uh, that 
gravel's going to get blown around. Probably a lot of other things are going to get blown around, too. But he's saying uh, the province could have cleaned this up. They should have cleaned this up. They didn't. He's got $17,000 damage to his uh, brand-new SUV. And uh, he doesn't feel as though it should be on him or his insurance company that this is on the province. So do people agree? Clearly, he wasn't the only person on the road that day. I'm not aware of anyone else coming forward with, with anything like this. Here's my point in this matter. Um, let's say I, Roger Kincaid, concerned citizen, uh, you know, I drive the streets just like all my fellow Calgarians do, and I'm concerned about their, their well-being, their health, their livelihoods, their lives and limbs. So I take my truck and I fill the back of it with gravel. I head down to Burnco there, fine purveyor of all types of different aggregate, put some uh, some gravel in the back of my truck, and as um, you know, as I'm driving along, I just spill a bit of it from time to time to make the roads safer. I'm going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? I mean, same end. I'm putting gravel on roads, which could be snowy or icy, just so that people can get better traction. I'm doing the exact same thing that the city or the province is doing. But I, I'm going to get in trouble for that, right? So if that my gravel blows up and damages some guy's car... Can he come to me and say, well, you shouldn't put the gravel there. You did put the gravel there. you got to now pay for my truck, but you got to pay for the paint job on my car. Do I get to say, well, look, I was doing that in the interest of public safety. I'm off the hook here. <laughs> I don't know that that's ever come up. I mean, what if, uh, you know, the, the snow plows are slow to get out to your road and uh, there's a lot of snow, and so you go with your snowblower and you clear off the road, but underneath the snow is some ice and then the road's slippery and someone slips and falls. Do they have a, an issue with you because you cleared the road? I, I don't know. Uh, a couple of people pointing this out. I mean, <laughs> uh, this one here says simply buy a winter beater to drive. Another one here says, look, if a guy can afford a BMW SUV, he should be able to afford an old beater to drive in the winter. You only drive nice vehicles from June to October in Canada, says someone <laughs> else. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, how much of that is on him that he should have? Look, it's 90. The winds are blowing like crazy. Maybe some rocks will get blown around. Maybe a branch is going to get blown around. Maybe a whole darn tree is going to get blown around. You know, it's, at what point is it is it on you? Well, that's a good question. If a city tree falls on your car, who pays for it, right? I mean, and, and if, like, that happened uh, to some people last snowtember here. So do you have a, basically, do you sue the tree or do you go to the city to make your claim? Or do you just basically pay the deductible and suck it up? Or does your insurance company cover off the deductible for you and then pay for the rest of it? I mean, there's there's some legitimate questions to be had here. I think the most legitimate one that we can focus on, and we'd love your phone calls on this matter, by the way, 403-974-8255, is whether or not gravel is, in fact, the best way to be handling this situation. If I were to just spitball ideas, I might say, why can't we have like a larger uh, uh, sized like gr- grain of salt, basically, that we're tossing down on the roads? I know that we use pickle to try to help uh, prevent uh, slippery you know, ices from building up on roads. I think that solution is called pickle. Uh, and certainly you and I, when we want to de-ice our walkways or the path to the garage, we'll use some salt. So is there an option to use a salt that's as large as the, uh, uh, that's as, la- as large as that pea gravel that we're putting down? Would that be part of the solution? You know, to, to ask the question more holistically, what can we do besides what we're currently doing if this is in fact an issue, which it is, because we've got a lot of damaged windshields in this province. I guess there's the other side of it. I mean, uh, are, are people going to be complaining about the rust on their vehicles if we switch to straight salt? Uh, are people going to be complaining about the accidents they have if we just stop putting any of this stuff uh, on the road in the first place? So 
that, that's what we do. Now, someone else says, why don't we just use sand instead of gravel? It's not really the sand that's causing the damage. It's the larger rocks and the gravel that are causing the damage. And, you know, and maybe that's that's a legitimate point. But, uh, but I tell you, I mean, um, I think we've all got some, some dings on our car as a result of gravel on the roads. So at what point do we say um, that, well, okay, I can live with that versus, no, the province needs to needs to come fix that. Getting a lot of people, by the way, who aren't too sympathetic of this guy. No, of course not. Like uh, this text, this from uh, from Brooks, where they probably know a thing or two about gravel on the roads. <laughs> that whiner from Edmonton needs to be given the benefit of the doubt. My guess is he may have a neurological infection caused by the silver spoon in his... <clears throat> um, well, okay. <laughs> Consider that possibility. We're going to take a short break here. We'll get to your phone calls uh, right after this commercial break. Alan, stay on the line. We're going to get to you first. 974-8255. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. This is News Talk 770. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Now in HD. Details at Newstalk770.com. All right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk 770. It's the final 10 minutes or so here. Uh, talk about this issue of, uh, you know, the gravel we used to, to keep the roads safe during the, the winter when the snow melts, the the rocks fly, and uh, who's responsible for the damage it causes? So let's go to the phones. Alan's been waiting. Alan, thanks for calling in. Hi, you guys. I listen to your show all the time. I just thought I'd share this little thing with you about the gravel and stuff like that. About a week or so back, I backed out of my garage into the back alley with a Ford Focus, and there's ruts that are frozen and thawed and frozen and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So basically, I got straddled across the back alley and couldn't move the vehicle. Oh, God, I can, yeah, so I was I can picture it. I there for yeah. about half an hour, yeah. and I thought, okay, I'll phone AMA. And AMA guy came 15 minutes. And the point I'm making about this is, do you know the first thing he said to me? Have you got any kitty litter? Yeah, kitty litter. And, you know, I said, well, we got a little pussycat. So, yeah, sure, I went into the house and got my whole box of this kitty litter, and he spread it around the tires, and he got me out of those ruts just like you wouldn't believe. So I know it's not gravel and stuff like that, but I, I just felt I should share that with you and your listeners, that maybe it pays to just carry a box of kitty litter in the back of your car. Yeah, that's not bad. No, good call, Alan. Thanks you very know? much. I mean, okay, it's not thanks, a, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, a decent part of your of your winter survival kit. But I think Alan's pointing out another uh, pretty wicked topic there. I mean, anybody who's got a back lane in this uh, uh, city that goes from, you know, Chinook to Freeze to Chinook to Freeze, or what Leonardo DiCaprio refers to as the end of the world, knows what it's like to have to navigate one of those icy alleyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other question is, too, I mean, if you get some damage to your vehicle going through a pothole, is, is that the city's fault? Right? I mean, you know, we're kind of back to this question here that the guy's legitimately got damage to his vehicle. And, you know, who pays the tab? I also wonder, too, whether Alan's a, a, a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan. <laughs> maybe he's, uh, like, Hibernian or something. Uh, or, I should have asked him. Or maybe he supports the Jambos, the hearts of Midlothian. Um, this is an interesting text. The city of Calgary tested a product that was proven to melt better than salt and did no damage to cars. But it was abandoned as it was too expensive. I seem to remember uh, this news story from a couple of years ago that the city was looking for even different solutions for what to pave our roads with, but had to back away because of uh, some of the costs associated with it. Uh, another person texted in to say that if you ask any of these aggregate sellers, they'll tell you that what the city uh, and the province used to put on paved roads is called sand between 5 millimeters and 8 millimeters. 
kilometers. Gravel is what lines gravel roads out in the uh, rural parts of our province and in uh, some alleyways here in the city. And uh, that also leads to this other text that says, if this guy wants to talk about damage to cars, uh, what about the damage to my truck from driving on the gravel roads near my property? All right, well, let's get back to the phones. I'll get some more calls in in our time remaining. This is Ray. Ray, thanks for calling in. Yeah, hi, how you doing? Uh, Real good. First of, all, first of all, I want to say that the, the the moderators of the program always seem to have the most intelligent thing that I hear when I listen to this show. Is that so, us? Yeah, that You're would the, be you guys. You are the first person to ever use the word moderate when describing us. <laughs> Much appreciated, Ray. <laughs> so um, basically what I want to say is, you know, wear and tear. That's you're you're driving around outside. You're not sitting yeah. in a piano. You're outside. <laughs> Vehicles are gonna get scratched. They're gonna get gravel on them. They're gonna get worn out. They're gonna get rained on. But I mean, how far can you push this? Are you gonna try and sue somebody now every time you wash your car because <laughs> they got it dirty for you again? <laughs> that's right yeah the province owes me free car washes no it's a really good it's a really good point i think that ultimately what you're getting at is like we we simply can't go down the wormhole of addressing every single complaint of this nature no absolutely not you can't pander to people who complain because there's no lack of complaint right yeah, no, it's it's a great point, Ray. Thanks for the phone call. You know, the, the extension that I would put on the end of, of Ray's point, though, is that ultimately we're the ones who pay for the uh, the gravel to be put on the roads, right? That's not just money that comes from nowhere or from Quebec. That's Alberta taxpayers who are paying into the kitty, and then they, they take out a, a couple uh, wads of 20s, buy some gravel, put it down on the roads. So yeah. the point is that does the government not have some responsibility to make sure that the process that they use is uh, 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 the damage is limited. And if we've got, you know, say, millions of dollars province-wide in windshield replacements and, and paint chip repair, maybe they got to examine what they're putting on the roads. Right, which, you know, I mean, we, we can have that conversation because clearly other provinces do it differently. But uh, I, th- I think Albertans are used to it. I, I mean, his point about wear and tear is, is well taken, because what does that mean? We understand that if you have a car for five years, it's going to have some wear and tear on it. Right? So w- what do we take that to mean? Uh, let's get Mark's call in here. Mark, go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm from uh, Montreal originally, and uh, I don't remember ever having a cracked windshield, but I do remember putting tin on my floor of my car because the salt just eats away at the... Uh, the rocker panels and the, right. the floors, and uh, just one more thing: uh, that, that the Scottish guy with the uh, with the cat. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard a Scottish cat? Uh. <laughs> they, they go. They say they sound like this. Me you. <laughs> I don't know if you're all right. That's, that's all. That's I got. We're, we're, right, thanks. thanks a lot. We're out of time for regional conflict between Mark and Alan, but maybe we'll. Uh... Well, Alan didn't say where he was from. How does how does Mark know? Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You outed him. Uh, now you know it's funny, right? I think the guy. I don't know how legitimate he is in his claim that uh, the province should uh, should pay for the seventeen thousand uh, dollar repair tab on his BMW SUV. Um, but I, I do think that it raises actually a conversation that doesn't hurt for us to have, which is if we live in a province uh, where we've got the government taking care of highways in a way that causes uh, wear and tear, uh, excessive wear and tear damage, then maybe there's something to be said about examining that and finding out if there's a less caustic way of keeping our roads safe uh, in winter driving conditions. 
Well, you know, I mean, I mean, people have pointed out the uh, problems with salt. Uh, so there's that. I mean, well, this is interesting. <laughs> I've never heard of these before. Someone else points out how uh, New Brunswick and St. John, they would use beet juice extract. Uh, someone here says Montana uses liquid brine, which works wonders. Or the airport authority uses potassium acetate. I think just a flamethrower. It's, it's not cheap, mind you. Good old-fashioned flamethrower should do the trick, shouldn't it? What's that Stephen Wright joke? I haven't shoveled the driveway once since I got the flamethrower. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, we got the Chinooks do a pretty good job of uh, keeping the roads clear. <laughs> <Look at laughs> they're, the, they're the problem here. They're the ones that expose all the gravel. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, this seems like a kind of exceptional occurrence, uh, given the, you know all the circumstances combining that day. But you know, it's, I, I think uh, people uh, see that there are some some deeper issues here worth exploring. All right, we'll explore some more issues on tomorrow's program. That does it for us today. Danielle Smith is in next, right after the news to 1230. You've been listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.